that I really believe God wants you to have. Anybody interested in what I've got to say tonight? So I'm going to share with you some ideas to try to help you understand where we are and uh, what we need to do to get ourselves postured spiritually in our attitudes, in our minds, for God to do what He wants to do. Brother Neil whispered to me earlier in the service, this is the only one God church in Fort McMurray. My Lord, help us. 100,000 people in this area, maybe more than that in, I don't know if you have counties or how you do your areas here. There's no way to tell you how many people. My first thought, and I'm not going to be indictive or condemning. That's not my purpose tonight. I want to just encourage you. Don't you know that Jesus paid for more people to be saved in this city than what's in this building tonight? Don't you know that Calvary paid for far more people to be here tonight than are here? And that He loves them just as much as He loves me or He loves you. So I want to preach a, a kind of preach treats tonight a few minutes and try to help us get into a mindset for a miracle. St. John chapter 5, verse 1, would you stand? Thank you again for your kindness to me. You folks have been so wonderful, so kind, so sweet. And I thank you for all of your hospitality. St. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. St. John chapter 5, verse number 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Anybody here thirty-eight years old? Thirty-eight years old. Anybody forty? Close enough. Sister Cheryl, all her life, plus two, or minus two, this man had sit by this pool. Thirty-eight years he had this infirmity. Equal to almost her entire life. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time, in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now I want you to notice this impotent man. I recently just, just saw this, Bishop. Notice this. The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another step down before me. I want to introduce you, and this is not my message tonight, but I want to introduce you to a genuine first-class loser. Notice what he said. The reason I don't get in the pool is, is somebody else. I don't have anybody to come help me. And then he turned around and said, when I am going down, somebody else gets in my way. In other words, he was totally blaming his condition on other people. 
I want to make a strong statement here that I've used to challenge our church, and I'm only wanting to challenge. We quote it all the time. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. First thing we've got to do is take possession and ownership of these empty chairs. It's not God's fault. And it's not sinner's fault. He's what He said, If my people, which are called by my name, in other words, since only the church can bring revival, only the church can hinder revival. The devil can't hinder it. God sure ain't going to hinder it. Sin can't hinder it. The world can't hinder it. He said, My people, if called by my name, if they'll humble themselves, so since we're the only ones that can bring it, we're really the only ones that can hinder it. Now, I don't expect you to run the aisles and kick over chairs, but I am going to talk to you a little straight tonight about doing something about reaching your community in a greater way. And I do know God's going to bless you for joining in the Carolina Crusades. He's already prophesied that to us. Verse number 8, Jesus said unto him, Rise and take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. Everybody say immediately. Thirty-eight years. Immediately. Immediately. After thirty-eight years, it ended immediately. Woo! Do you know you can go from nothing to everything just that fast? You can go from a from a, a church with a lot of empty chairs to where people are standing faster than you can imagine. Everybody say immediately. I want to take this story and preach to you a little different thought about it. Jesus asked this man, Wilt thou be made whole? kind of brainless question if you ask me. Here's a man that's paralytic, crippled, 38 years. Somebody says, you want to be healed? Oh, no, I don't want to be healed. Kind of seems like, why would you even ask somebody that? I'm going to show you in a minute why Jesus asked him that. Because his perception and his comprehension of what a miracle would mean to that man was far more than perhaps that man had ever considered. So I'll preach to you just a few minutes on the high cost of a free miracle. The high cost of a free miracle. I just got to tell the church tonight, and I'll be asking you later on, are you willing to pay that cost? To have a miracle that really you're not going to pay for it. It's free. Calvary's already paid for it. The cross paid for it. The blood of Jesus paid for it. But there is a price that you and I may have to pay in order to exact that into our lives. You may be seated. Clap your hands and bless the name of the Lord with me just a moment. An infirmity of 38 years vanished immediately. That lets me know, and I'm excited to tell you, 
It is never too late for a miracle. I don't want anybody to think just because a prayer hasn't been answered that it can't be answered. Or just because a miracle hasn't been done that it's not going to be done. We have got to keep believing and pursuing and going for it in Jesus' name until we see it or until we die. I hope the last thing I say before I leave this world is revival. I will believe it until they put me in a box. And I am never going to let it go. And I'm not talking about a little revival. I'm talking about a worldwide outpouring of the Spirit of God. Even at the cross, Jesus said, Don't you know that even now I could pray to my Father? And He would send legions of angels here. You think it's too late for me to get off this cross? Absolutely not. It's never too late for a miracle. As long as there is breath, there is hope. As long as we are alive until they put a wreath on that pearly gate, I'm going to believe that God's going to pour His Spirit out, that God's going to bless the church, that there's going to be miracles, signs, and wonders, that people are going to be baptized in Jesus' name. People are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to shake our community. We're going to shake our city. We're going to shake our state. Everybody shout, it's never too late for a miracle. Hey, you may have had the Holy Ghost 20 years old. Don't quit praying for your relatives that haven't received it. Don't give up that they're going to go to hell and just, just accept the fact that some of these folks are not going to be saved. They're not going to be saved if the devil can get you to give up. But as long as there's an intercessor, as long as there's somebody that believes, then there's always a place for a miracle. we pastored in Raleigh now for 37 years. I've seen people receive the Holy Ghost at our church. It came for eight years before it happened. I know a lady in our church who was in the church for 20 some odd years without her mom and dad ever coming to church. Her mom and dad moved to Raleigh because they wanted to be near the grandkids. I was privileged to teach her mom and dad a Bible study. After 20 years of never going to church with her, I baptized both of them and they both were filled with the Holy Ghost. It's never too late for a miracle. I wish you'd think about some of your loved ones that for years they never have come. They said they never would come. Don't give up on them. Keep believing God for a miracle. Because it's never too late for a miracle. The only hope they have is your faith. The only hope they have is your faith. You've got to keep believing they're going to change. You've got to keep believing they're going to be saved. You've got to keep believing it's going to happen. The day you quit believing, then they have no hope. Jesus, in His ministry in the earth, approached the hard cases. He healed one that had a disease for 12 years. He healed another that had a disease for 18 years. He healed this one in this text that had a disease for 38 years. He liked to work on the hard cases. You ever watch healers in a service where they're having a prayer line? They pray for the headaches and the ingrown toenails, and they wait till the last to pray for those people in the wheelchairs. <laughs> Jesus would have went straight to the wheelchair. He would have went straight to the deaf or to the blind. He approached the hard cases. 
There were three times that Jesus invaded the deep, dark domain of death and robbed death of its prey. One was the daughter of Jairus. Another was the son of the widow of Nain. And a third was the most notable, and that was Lazarus. What can we learn from these miraculous resurrections? First of all, the daughter of Jairus had just died. The son of the widow of Nain had been dead long enough to be wrapped and headed toward a grave in a funeral procession. And Lazarus, of course, had been dead for four days. What Jesus wanted us to know is whether it's just died, been dead long enough to be in a funeral procession, or dead for four days, the degree of death does not matter. He's still the resurrection, and He still is the life. It doesn't matter how long somebody's been bound by drugs. He can still bring them out. It doesn't matter how long they've been an alcoholic. He can still deliver them. It doesn't matter how long they claim to be atheists. He can change their lives. And He can do it immediately if somebody believes it. I've tried to teach our church. They, you know, folks, I have to admit sometimes good folk get on my nerves. Somebody comes to church, ain't been there in a long time, and I've heard people say to them, Well, my Lord, the building's going to fall in. Who would have thought you were going to come to church? That should never come from the church. We should be expecting them to pull up here any minute. We should be expecting them to come next Sunday. Matter of fact, I heard a beautiful illustration of a lady whose husband did not love the Lord, did not go to church. You'll like this bishop if you hadn't heard it. One Sunday she came to church. And she had his suit, his tie, his white shirt, and his shoes, and his socks. And she laid them over the pew beside her. Sunday after Sunday, she said, one day, one day, he's going to come wearing this stuff. And you know what? He did eventually come wearing that suit and was born again of water and spirit. Somebody's got to have faith and stay in there. There were two incredible angelic annunciations of two very special boys that would be born. One would be born to Elizabeth. The other would be born to her cousin Mary. The angel said to Elizabeth, you're going to have a special boy. And to Mary, the same. Notice with me, Elizabeth had been married a long time but could not conceive. Mary was a virgin and was not married. And said, how can this be? Seeing I know not a man. I want to preach to you tonight some of the conditions you put on your miracle God doesn't recognize. Well, God's got to do this and God's got to do that. Don't try to qualify God. Just let Him be God and He can do it the way He wants it done even though it doesn't seem logical to you. Mary represents the virgin territory where the gospel's never been preached. The gospel seed has never been planted. And out of Mary, the, the gospel seed will come and there will be a son that will be born, a revival born. And that represents the home missions and foreign missions where the gospel's not been preached. But here's where I want to encourage you. Elizabeth represents the older areas that have been married, been exposed, but never have conceived. And he said, you're going to have a son too. 
The areas that have not been known for revival can become known for revival. The areas that's not been known for church growth can become known for church growth. The areas where there's not been great phenomenal outpourings of the Spirit, it can happen in Jesus' name. Somebody shout yes! So I laid that foundation with all of that just to tell you this. It is no question of whether God can do it or not. The question is not, is it accessible? The question is not, is it available? The question is not, is it possible? Forget all of that. The question is, wilt thou be made whole? Do you really want this miracle? Jesus said, all I need to know from you, sir, is that you really want it. That's all I got to hear. And I'm telling you, that's the same way it is today because the Bible said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because if they do, what's going to happen? They shall be filled. I want to tell you tonight, you can have as big a church as you want. You can have as many people here on Sunday night as you want. You can see as many people baptized as you want. You can do in this city whatever you want. Because Jesus is asking you, Do you want it? Will thou be made whole? What He was saying is, How bad do you want it? And sir, have you ever considered the high cost of a free miracle? Now let me explain that to you. For 38 years this man was the focus of pity charitable acts, the recipient of others' energies, incomes, and efforts. All he had to do was lay there, clap his hands, and they'd say, where do you want to go? And they'd carry him. All he did was clap his hands and say, I'm hungry, and they'd bring him some food. All he did was clap his hands and they'd take him home or take him wherever he wanted to go, like a taxi service. He was a societal parasite. Stay with me now. He was excused, dismissed, and exempted from all personal responsibilities. You'll like this. He had no alarm clock. But he wasn't going anywhere. He had no job. He had no schedule. He had no obligations. He had no duties. And the reason Jesus said, Wilt thou be made whole? is because if you get this miracle, all that hand clapping stuff is over. All that laying around and waiting on somebody to carry you hither and thither is over. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to dress yourself. You're going to have to get up and provide your own food now. Amen? Jesus said, I think there may be something about this miracle you haven't considered. Do you know, once you get a miracle, it will never again be like it was. You'll have to walk. you have to get a job. you have to feed yourself. you have to clothe yourself. You're going to even do this. Jesus said, when I heal you, you're going to take up what you've been laying on. You're not going to lay on that anymore. You're going to have to carry what you've been laying on. Yeah. 
What Jesus was saying is the first thing you need to understand is that when you get a great miracle, it will never be again like it was. One reason some Pentecostals cannot get a great miracle from God for tomorrow is because they won't turn loose of yesterday. I had a lady one time tell me in our church, new convert, she, after she'd been there a little while, oh, pastor, I, I just, I was just crying. I'm just so upset. Our church is just not like it used to be. I want our church to be like it used to be. I just, I just want it. I wish it was like it used to be. Well, you have to know me. A lot of people sin by the stuff they do. I tell everybody, when I was a kid, I never got spankings for doing bad stuff. I got spankings for saying bad stuff. My daughter taught me this. She said, Dad, you know what? What kids do as a child that they get spanked for, they make money doing it when they become adults. <laughs> so you better be careful what you let those kids do. It's important. And all my life, I've had a uh, quick tongue. And I can't tell you how many times my mom said, Boy, you better watch your mouth. And I got more spankings over what I said than over what I did, not knowing that one day God would take control of that tongue and he would turn it another direction and he would use it to tear the kingdom of Satan down and to bless the lives of men and women. But sometimes it goes that way. And so we need to consider the fact that when it comes, it's going to be over. Now here's what she said to me. I want our church to be like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. Well, my tongue kicked in and I said, you're right. I thank God the church is not like it used to be. People are praying more now. we got more people full of the Holy Ghost. The church's standard is higher than it's ever been. We're giving more to missions. This church is greater than it's ever been. Do not sit around here and whine and pine like the greatest days of the church are behind you. That is a myth. That is a myth. That is a myth. The Bible said in the book of Genesis when God created everything, He said the evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. You know what I learned from that? Everything that God creates ends with the sun coming up. If it's manufactured, it goes from great to disastrous. If it's God-manufactured, it gets better and better. Don't tell me. This church is going from glory to glory. The church is greater tonight than it's ever been. I'm going to really shock you now. The church is greater now than it was on the day of Pentecost. Don't pray take us back to Pentecost. If the church had backslide to go back to Pentecost. Can you all handle that? You may be seated. How do you say that 3,120 got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost? There's probably five times that many gets the Holy Ghost now because that was all the church there was. Understand? Now the sun never sets on the United Pentecostal Church. When you go to bed tonight and go to sleep somewhere, they're going to be praying people through the Holy Ghost and baptizing them in Jesus' name while you're sleeping. We need a right perception of this church. So the first thing we need to know is we can't have a miracle and maintain like we are or like we have been. 
Now, please understand me. I'm going to say this one time. Your pastor wouldn't have me here if I was a compromiser. You trust him? So he wouldn't have me here if I had liberal church or uh, questionable standards on the true salvation or membership that was loose or charismatic. I wouldn't be preaching to you. I shouldn't even have to explain that to you, but I'm going to because when you say the word change, people, oh, change. Well, there's some things we don't change, never will change. We don't change our doctrine. We don't change our wives. And we don't change our pastor. Other than that, everything's up for grabs. And we cannot put new wine in old skins. But I like it that way. This ain't about what you like. It's not even about what I like. It's about what Jesus liked. And that's the lost souls of men and women. And whatever we can do to reach them, we need to learn to like that. You know, I don't like worms, but when I go fishing, I put them on a hook. Well, okay, I'll move on. It may not be what we like, but we've got to get beyond what we like and fall in love with what He likes. And He likes a church full. He said, go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in that my house might be full. I wish somebody would acknowledge tonight, Jesus deserves a full house. Bishop Neal deserves to preach to a full house. He's better than these televangelists. He's better than these money marketing mercenary false prophets that run all over the world private jets hoodooing and fooling people in the name of the Lord and have ballparks full of people to hear them preach. Can y'all handle that? I say he deserves a full house every time he preaches. Every seat ought to be full. Because of the gospel that we're preaching, the truth that we're preaching. I wish somebody would say, that's right, that's right. And that's what we got to get in our hearts and our minds. One day the President of the United States of America was getting ready to give a speech. This was years ago. And the man who had set up the meeting was getting ready to bring the President on. The President standing behind the curtain getting ready to come out. And you know, when the president is introduced, it's the most simplistic, yet profound introduction that can be given because it's so unique. This is the way they introduced the president in the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States of America. That's all they say. What else needs to be said? <laughs> the most powerful man in the world. There's no, there's no accolades that you can put on it. There's no fancy phrases, uh, words of flattery. When you say the President of the United States of America, that's it. Nothing else can be said. Well, he was getting ready to say, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America, and he looked in the audience, and there was one empty seat. And he said, you, son, come here, get this chair, and run it outside building." He took that chair out. And afterwards, somebody said, what was that all about? 
He said, the president deserves and demands every seat be full when he speaks. There should be no empty chairs. I say when Jesus Christ comes through here on Sunday, there should be a somebody in every seat here to receive him. When this knowledgeable, anointed, chosen chariot vessel of God, chosen vessel of God, comes to this pulpit, every seat should be heard in honor of the sacrifice, in honor of the fasting, in honor of the praying, and in honor of the truth. I wish somebody would agree with me. Every church that preaches truth ought to be full. So I'm going to quickly speak to you about seven chains that bind a church. Let's put it on PowerPoint. Seven chains that bind a church to mediocrity and non-progressiveness. This is what I've learned in my experience of studying church growth in the Pentecostal movement. It's not at all what you think it would be. Pentecostals will shout if we preach prayer, praise, fasting, holiness. We don't have any problem with that. We don't have any problem with loving the Bible, loving God. But I'm going to put my finger on the pulse of the real problem that causes us to be bound to mediocrity and non-progressiveness. Hear me when I preach to you tonight. Those two words should be profanity to Pentecostals. Mediocrity. Non-progressiveness. Those ought to be like curse words. Here's the first one. The first chain that's got to be broken, and this may be the strongest, is a resistance to change. A resistance to change. Jesus wanted this man to know if you're not ready to really live a changed life, you don't want this miracle. Because once you get this miracle, folks are not going to carry you anymore. Once you get this miracle, you're not going to clap your hands. They're going to bring you... I think I'll have shrimp tonight. I think I'll have steak. No, no, no you're going to have what you go earn. <laughs> you sure you want to be healed? After this miracle, it's going to be, there's going to be an incredible change. We cannot stay the same and receive the miracle God wants us to have. I don't know if you've even noticed Pentecost or not in this, in this light. You know what? On the day of Pentecost, nature's two strongest forces were wed. Fire and wind were wed on the day of Pentecost. Fire changes. Wind rearranges. And what God was saying is, when this miracle comes, there's going to be changes and there's going to be some rearranging. To have a real Pentecostal revival, you've got to be ready for the wind to blow. And you've got to be ready for the fire to fall. And when it does, you've got to let it change you. You've got to let it rearrange you. For years we had on our nursery uh, wall at our church <laughs> a scripture that I thought was pertinent to the nursery. This is what it said. 
We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> I thought that was an applicant word from the Lord for the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, I want you to understand, not just accepting change will work. You've got to welcome it, appreciate it, embrace it, and be happy about it instead of resenting it. Somebody say amen. So let me go to the second one now. I'll try to pick up the pace here. The second chain is the strong chain of selfishness. Now this is rough, folks, but this is where I preached our church. And this is what I've seen in Pentecost everywhere. The biggest sin in Pentecost is not adultery, fornication, perversion, lying, smoking, drinking, cheating, dishonesty. No, we're good folk. I'm preaching to good folk tonight. But our biggest sin is selfishness. You say, I'm not selfish. How long has it been since you brought somebody to church with you? You're selfish. You wouldn't miss his message for nothing. But you don't think it's good enough to hear, bring somebody else to hear it. God, you, you wouldn't dare lose out with the Lord. You're so thankful for the Holy Ghost. But, it, but is it really that good to you? if you won't let somebody else in on it? This man that got healed, if you notice in John chapter 5, in one verse he said, I, me, I, me. All he was thinking about was himself. And sometimes we Pentecostals, it's I and me, I and me, when it should be he and them. What the church should be thinking about is he and them. Not thinking about ourselves. Well, I like it when they sing these songs. Well, maybe they'll sing your song. Maybe they won't. But really it's not whether they sing your song or not. It's not really about us to design the church for ourselves. If we're not careful, we can be the most selfish people in the world. When my first grand, when my nephew had his first little boy, his name's Luke. Luke was a, a model child. He is now in Austin, Texas, not far from a doctorate, and he teaches at the University of Texas in Austin. Luke is a special boy. When his little sister was born, she was quite the opposite of Luke. She was a holy terror, crying, problematic kid when she was a baby, just. Kept the family up at night. Just, just, no, just, just, she went through a lot of stuff. One day they were riding down the road, and Luke says to his mama, I've seen Luke when he was little, his sister start crying. He, she drove him nuts. He said, Let's take Logan back to the hospital. His mother's incredibly wise. She said, Luke, baby, you don't want to take Logan back to the hospital, honey. That's where we got you. <laughs> the problem is some of us have been in the church so long 
we forgot how we got here. And we're very impatient with the world. I've even seen a lot of Pentecostals that resisted and, and rejected and resented sinners. Can I remind you that He loved them? And the church should love them. The church is never more beautiful in the sight of God than it when it reeks with the smell of nicotine or when there's beer breath on the pews. Oh my God, not in church. What is the church for if it's not to reach sinners? As a matter of fact, the church is in real trouble when all we have is Pentecostals. Cookie-cutter Pentecostals. That may be different here, but I'm going to tell you how it is in North Carolina. When a lady walks through the doors of our church, a typical, I think I can preach without offending anybody here tonight, a typical lady of the world, you know, with all the embellishments of the world and everything, you know, and like Sister Cheryl looked like when she came back after she backslid. Now, you know what I'm talking about. You know. Right? And if they walk, they walk in our sanctuary and they stand at the back door and they look over that crowd, and if they don't see at least one or two or three ladies that kind of look like them, they turn right around and head out. So through the years, I've preached this, that we need some women that don't look like Pentecostals. We need decoys. We need spiritual decoys. That will draw all the others, make them feel like it's safe to land here. But it's not, because I'm, I'm hiding in the bushes. And when they start coming down, boom, boom, I got my axe at 238 working on them. And I got a few ladies out there that fooled them. So, selfishness. third one is laziness. He said, when you get this miracle, you got to go to work. you got to go to work. To get the miracle God wants for you, there's going to have to be more workers. Now this church has got a strong core. I know enough about it. To know there's a strong core of leadership that serve the ministry and serve the Lord expertly. But the only way we can widen our reach is to widen our faith. And there's room for more of you to step up instead of letting three or four or five run this church. Now, I'm not meaning the metal. This is the way it is everywhere. They got three or four or five people run the whole church. Everybody else just comes and watches them run it. So I want to ask you tonight, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Are you employed in the kingdom or are you part of the unemployed? Are you part of the spectators or are you part of the participators? You just come to watch the show, drop a little money in the plate, see you next Sunday. Or have you found your ministry? God didn't save you to keep you out of hell or just to get you into heaven. He's got something He wants you to do in His kingdom to affect this city. God didn't just save you so you could boast about you know how to be baptized. 
He didn't save you because you could just shout, I know who Jesus is. He saved you so you could use whatever your talents are, whatever your abilities are, to reach the world. So a lot of folks, Pentecostals, they're just lazy. They just want to come, be blessed, be blessed, and go home, be blessed, and go home. Come back and be blessed and go home. But there's work to be done in the kingdom of the Lord. The fourth one is, and this gets even stronger, turfism. Turfism. Now I'll explain what turfism is. I don't really know who plays this keyboard. I don't know who plays this keyboard. I really don't know who plays that organ. But, but whoever plays this and plays that and plays this and plays those drums, do not own them. They don't own them. What would happen if in two months the bishop here in this church was to reach a whole rock band at one time? And every one of them got baptized in Jesus' name. Every one of them got the Holy Ghost. Every one of them lined up to holiness. And every one of them started paying their tithes. Could we put them on the organ and the drums or give them a guitar? And I'm going to make it even stronger. And you still come to church here. Because if that organ or that keyboard or those drums is all that's really anchoring you in this church, your motive is not right. I saw something I would not have believed it. My firstborn grandson, you know the firstborn, he's angelic, right? So much of his mom and dad named him Huntley. His first name is my last name. I didn't have but one child, a little girl. And when they told me, they didn't tell me. I knew it was a boy, but I didn't know what his name was going to be. And when, when that baby was born and my son-in-law said, Dad, we have a surprise for you. I said, what's that? He said, the baby's name is Huntley. I cried and I cried and I cried. That's the most precious thing that ever happened in my life. And so I felt Huntley was just angelic. He can do no wrong. I told my son-in-law, I know why you named him Huntley. Because you can tell him, Huntley, sit down over and shut up. Said, you always want to say that. Now you, now you can say it and get by with it. I said, that's why you named him that. He was Huntley, you shut up. You always want to say that. Now you got a range where you can say it. Well, when Huntley's about four years old, three years old, here comes his little red-headed sister, Christiana. A little angel, little girl. I remember walking into that hospital the day that Christiana was born, holding Huntley's little hand. We're going to go see your sister. We're going to go see your sister. We walked in that room, and my wife was holding Christiana. Look, Huntley, this is your baby sister. Now, I'm not as young as you used to be, so I'm not going to do it like he did. But what he did was he went... And he just fell on the floor. It's like, it's over. I'm done. 
I mean, she wiped him out. It took because we'd been treating him like the king of the earth. You know, we said he'll never learn to walk. We carried him all the time. We wouldn't put him on the ground. We said he'll never learn to talk. Uh, uh, yeah, what do you want? All he had to do was point. You know, yeah, 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 yes, your honor. What do you want? You know, that's the way we try. So he'll never learn to walk. He never learn to talk. Cause the whole family's yes, sir, yes, yes, your majesty. When he saw her, he just fell out. My world has been invaded, and I can't compete with that. I'm done. But then, what really got me, little baby? He would. I watched him when nobody was looking. He'd walk over to her and he'd get next to her and he'd go, boom. <laughs> he'd just walk over there when nobody was around. He thought I wasn't looking, but everybody's always looking. He'd go, boom. And she'd be crying. What happened? I don't know. Started crying, huh? Or he'd walk over and go, ah. <clears throat> just pizza daylights out of her. Because she was moving in on his turf. I hate to tell you this, but I have pastored. I'm sure they don't do it here, but I have pastored saints who did that to the new converts. Catch them out in the parking lot. Has he told you this yet? Brand new in the church. Has he told you this is our standard? They're not interested in their standard or in their soul. They are a, they are a spiritual abortionist who are killing the converts because they're afraid that the bishop may spend a little more time with them than he is with them. We are going to have to reach a place. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing for this church to have such a miracle revival that you'd stand along that wall so the sinners could have your seat? Would you be willing to cancel a vacation, give the money to a building program because there's not enough room? We need to buy another church, build another church. I'm talking about the high cost of a free miracle. Ladies and gentlemen, the honest truth is, this is what stops our growth. It's not our message. It's not our God. It's not our standards. It's this kind of stuff that hasn't been dealt with, that has got to be dealt with so that we can reach others. So I started doing this, Bishop. You know, our church is a little larger than this, and so I can't, I can't get to people that I don't need to talk to. Sinners come in, friends that I've invited to church, or maybe a saint that's hurting, I see it. So I can't, because when I step off the platform, there are ten of the same people every week that encircle. You're doing good, let me continue to use you. And this is all they want. Did that bad boogeyman hurt you, baby? Pastor's gonna get him. Dad Boogie Man Belly my little Saint Long. It's okay. Look, Pastor, look at my band aid. I hurt my finger. Oh, baby. Jesus. 
help my dear little saint. And there's people walking out the door that are contemplating suicide. And there's people walking out the door whose marriages are about to break up. There's people walking out the door whose lives are racked with sin. And I can't even get there because I'm worried about my cat died or my toenail broke off or I got a headache. Or what cereal should I eat? So I got these two young men sitting with me on the platform. And I tell them, go get that person. I don't let them leave till I get a chance to see them. Or I tell these ten people, can you handle this? You stay here, I'll be back. But I got to catch this visitor that's going out the door. You have got to release your pastor. What you need to say to him is, I'm saved. I know who Jesus is. I'm on the way to heaven. You go get those folks that don't know it. So, turfism. But I also remember the day, one day, when they were out in the front yard and Huntley tried to kick Christiana. Now, she's growing up some, you know. And she, he kicked her and ran off, and I saw her go, Come here. <laughs> he said, Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> because she doesn't got big enough to kick back, you know. <laughs> and now he's 17 and she's 14. And they don't kick anymore. They're friends. You know? <laughs> They're above that now. That same thing gets in a church. And I want to say this too. Don't be jealous over somebody coming into the church that's got a little more ability or money than you've got. Well, pastor just likes him because they got money. Pastor just likes him because they can they got this business or they got this, that, and the other. No, no, we gotta know, you know. Judas got all upset because Mary, you know, broke that alabaster. The, the woman broke the alabaster box and poured it out. And he said, well, that should have been given to the poor. He wasn't interested in giving it to the poor. That's what the Bible said. It said he, he was just concerned because he had to bag. Yeah, he was a thief. He didn't want that given to the poor. But you know what? She gave everything she had. You know what he should have done? Judas should have gone to Mary and said, Mary... I, I, don't, I didn't have anything of value like that. But I am so proud of what you did for Jesus. I, I, I couldn't do that. But, you know, He's worthy of that. And Mary, thank you, or whoever it was, thank you for doing that. Thank you. I, you ought to thank God that people can come that do what you can't do to bless the work of God. Don't be jealous. Don't resent them. Don't find fault with them. And above all else, don't run them off. told our church we can't hardly reach rich people. The reason is when they get out of the car our saints are lined up. Can I borrow $10? <laughs> Would you let the man come worship God? Leave him alone. Then a doctor come into our church and after every service is lined up like it was a clinic. Wanting free advice, free medication, free services. I'd tell the church, leave him alone. When he comes to church, he's not a doctor. When he comes to those doors, he ceases to be a doctor. He's just a saint of God that needs preaching to. Like I heard a preacher one time, he said he was down praying. He said, oh God, I want a doctor in my church. I want a lawyer in my church. Oh God, give me a doctor. Give me a lawyer in my church. 
He said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I don't have any doctors and lawyers in my church. He said, well, Lord, I know you do. Next door neighbor down, pastor, he's got doctors and lawyers. He said, no, no, no. All I have in my church is souls. And by the way, I am convinced that the rich of our world right now are more ready for God than the poor because the poor keep thinking if they get more money, they're not going to need God. But the rich have had all the money they need and they still know something's missing. Let me hasten on. Turfism. The next one is immaturity. One of the things that hinders our growth is we got too many babies that are not really of the age of babies. <laughs> Paul said something about when you should be ready for meat, I'm still having to stick a bottle in your mouth. One of the greatest doors of evangelism and growth in the church is for all of us just to grow up. Just grow up to where we can take care of the most of our problems. Only when we have real severe need do we bother the pastor. We can pray our problems through. We need to learn how to pray our problems through. We need to learn how to fast and pray that God gives us the answer. One of the great problems is immaturity in the church. Well, he didn't even shake my hand. Father in heaven, what if God wanted to give you a church that was so big that you had to use binoculars to see the pulpit. Would you like to have that kind of revival? It'd be like general conference. There ain't no way you could get up to the bishop. Crowd would be so great. Would you be willing to come to church and still love him and care for him and think that he loves you just as much although he hadn't eaten any of your pie in months? or drunk any of your coffee in months. I'm going to make a confession for you here. Do you know that the majority of the saints that I pastor, if they were to call me and say, Brother Huntley, I need you to come pray for me, I'd have to say, tell me how to get to your house. Because I've never been there. They're precious saints of God. They get what they need while I'm preaching. They get what they need while I'm teaching. They get what, I, what they need during prayer meetings. And if they were to call me out to their house, I'd have to ask them how to get there. And they're not mad at me because of that. Your doctor doesn't know how to get to your house. Your lawyer don't know how to get to your house. Is that all right? But that doesn't mean that I don't love them. They know I love them. And if they need me to come out there, I'll come. But you're going to have to tell me how to get there. Now, I'm just trying to clean the clock here tonight because I don't know when I'll be back, if I'll be back. Let me say Some people in Pentecost don't want revival. I got a whole message I preach on that. Why some Pentecostals do not want revival. One of the reasons they don't want revival is because they think the pastor doesn't love them anymore. Because he's dealing with new converts. They're babies. How many know that the new baby always gets more attention than the older brothers and sisters? Just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And really the way it's supposed to be is the, the big brothers and sisters are supposed to be helping out with the baby. Everybody's supposed to be loving the baby. 
And then when the baby gets old enough, the baby loves the next baby. And if you're like my daughter, you don't know when to quit. She got five. Number six, detesting the mess that comes with a miracle. <laughs> Every miracle has a mess. When Jesus broke the, the bread, fed the 5,000, the Bible said that He told the disciples to pick up the fragments. You know what fragments are? That's crumbs. It was a mess. He said, don't leave this mess. Pick up the crumbs. And wherever there's a miracle, there's a mess. By that I mean you're going to have people come to church who don't know how to control their kids. Get used to it. When I started church in Raleigh, I thought one time I told my wife, we were driving. Down, not far from our church is the insane asylum. And the spirit of insanity was in that area. And when I started church... Two out of three that were come were nuttier than fruitcakes. I mean, that's what I had to deal with. Basket cases. The devil was just trying to fight me with it. He said, you'll never have a church here. You put all these together. You got one person, got a decent brain. I got it one Wednesday night and talked to church. I don't know where y'all saw this, but let me tell you, there ain't no sign on that door that says brains not allowed. They'd go out and get the... And, and they have a right to come to. Don't judge me wrong here. But the whole gospel needs to be preached to the whole world. And, I mean, they were getting on my nerves, craziest thing they were doing. And so we were leaving the church one Sunday in our old building. The sign out front said, First night Pentecost Church, Pastor Huntley. I stopped my car right in the road, my wife and daughter in the car. And she said, What's wrong? I said, Look at that sign. She said, What do you mean? Because she never knows what I'm doing anyway. Most times she thinks I'm serious when I'm just carrying her right down the river. I said, look at that sign. She said, yo, what's wrong with it? I said, it needs to be changed. To what? First United Nuthouse, Warden Huntley. I said, because this is a nuthouse. Now, you have to be there to understand what I'm talking about. I finally got one nice-looking gentleman to come to church one Sunday and a new convert's baby. Took a milk bottle and threw it across the church and hit him right in the head. <laughs> See, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I'm, oh, God, he'll never come back. I'm trying to reach souls. What? What have I done wrong? Oh, God. I'll tell you one more and we'll move on. This guy came to church. He was one of them, you know, Comfort the feeble-minded apostle said. Here's the way he'd do every service when we'd sing. We'd sing something like, How great thou art, how great thou art. He'd come to the last line. How great thou art, how great thou art. He'd go over five minutes. Ah. And everybody's like, Please. They're elbowing him, you know. Uh, and then he'd turn around to, to the teenagers and he'd say, I'm a singing man. <laughs> they asked him where he lived. He said, Well, I live down at the Yimka. 
He said, Yipka. He said, I still think Yipka Hotel. Yipka. What kind of hotel is that? He said, Well, really, really, it's the YMCA, but I call it my hotel. He said, That's where I live. I live down at the Yipka. Anybody got a pistol? Coming home. I mean, it's like, God, we'll never have a church here. You just got to deal with the mess. You got to love them, be sweet to them, comfort them. I, I could spend the rest of the night telling you stories. But you go there now, you see a, a church got some brains, right? <laughs> I will tell you the rest of the story. It was a test from God. God said, if you'll take care of the people nobody wants, I'll give you the people that everybody wants. You love those pitiful people. You treat them nice and you're sweet to them. And God will give you the architects and the lawyers and the doctors and the prestigious people because He tests your motive. What are you really about? Money or souls? And when you prove to God that you love the homeless, we bring homeless to church every Sunday. We feed the homeless. We have a food bank. We give away food every week to the, to the poor people. We said, and the poor have the gospel preached to. I, didn't, I hope you don't think I'm being harsh toward them people. They never knew I felt that way. But I mean, really, that's the way I felt. But I loved them and I cared for them. But inside I was saying, ain't nobody with any brains going to come to church here. I don't want to come to church here. <laughs> this is embarrassing. And that's light stuff. I can tell you worse than that, but I'm not going to. we got to hurry. you got to go home. It might start snowing and y'all don't know how to drive in the snow. I'm worried about you. Detesting the mess that comes with a miracle. You, you gotta, you gotta let them be what they're. In Raleigh, a guest and a sinner can about break every rule in our church relative to our ethics. You know what I'm talking about? I see them sneak food in. I don't want food in the sanctuary. Soft drinks, man. Our saints know better than that. But I ain't gonna go back there and tell that guest, get that out of here. They'll learn. They'll learn. But I'm just thrilled they're here right now. Amen? Love them. you got to not detest the mess that comes with a miracle. Number six. That is six. Number seven is the last one, and maybe the biggie. Not trusting the pastor to be the pastor. When you start getting a lot of new people in, needless to say, their standards are not going to be right. Needless to say, they're not mature Christians. So you must not think it is your job to tell them the standards. Well, I hadn't been in Raleigh very long until I went out and taught this family a Bible study. They finally came to church one Sunday morning, the man and the wife, praying at the altar. A, a new convert herself came up and started praying with this lady that I'd been working on maybe 15, 16 weeks going to their house finally got them to come to church. They're down at the altar praying. Boy, I'm just so excited. This lady goes up and says something in that woman's ear, and she's squalling and crying, praying, singing, and she just stops. Gets up and goes back to her seat. 
And I thought, Lord, have mercy, what just happened? So I went back to the new lady that I talked to Bible study, her husband. I said, what, what happened? And I'm just going to say, okay, I don't mean to offend anybody, but this one was so out of order, so out of place, and even so wrong. She went up to that brand new convert that was praying at the altar, whispered in her ear, if you'll take those rings off, you'll get the Holy Ghost. And I thought, Lord, she's probably never going to come back to church. I pled with her. She's ignorant. She don't know what she's talking about. Don't, don't pay attention to that. And I went and got that lady, and I said, my wife and I would like to see you in the office. Now. <laughs> and I took her in the office. What did you say to her? Do you know you were totally out of order? Do you know you were totally wrong? You are not the pastor of this church. And I said, furthermore, if she doesn't come back to church, her blood is on your hands and not mine. You're the one who killed her, not me. Fortunately, I was able to continue the Bible study, help her over it, and they served God for many, many years. I told that lady, I said, unless you're willing to go to judgment and stand by them, give an account for them, you need to leave the preaching to me. Because whoever preaches to them is going to have to stand by them in judgment and give an account. If you're not willing to give an account, then you better leave the preaching to somebody else. So if you have a bunch of brand new people come through and this church is filled with non-Pentecostals, don't think for 30 seconds that the bishop is letting down his standards. Give them room to grow. Trust him. I'll close with this. You know, there's a there's a, a myth that has been in apostolic church ever since I've been in it. And that is, remember this story? That when the high priest went into the holiest of holies, that he had a rope on him. Anybody ever heard that? That's a myth. It is not true. I've heard people say that for years, when he went in there, they had a rope on him. So in case he died, nobody could go in there, they'd drag him out. Well, there is no place in the Bible where any of them ever died. They did what God said. But my point is this. Get ready for this one. There's always people wanting to tie the preacher down. <laughs> There's always people wanting to kind of hold him and, and, and rein him in and keep him tied. To reach our city and to have great growth that God wants you to have, you're going to have to release him and trust him and trust Him and support Him and believe God that when the time is right... See, here, here, here's what I've concluded. Let me see if I can... I want to make sure I got this just right in my notes here. I want to make sure. The reason that these people do that, anybody that's constantly preaching standards to somebody else that's not the preacher is having trouble with the standards themselves. If I'm not having trouble with it, I don't care what you do. I'm going to keep living like I'm living. You know, if you don't live into the standards, they're going to make me quit. I'm satisfied with it. I'm comfortable with it. I love the Lord. I want to do it. But the main problem is they fear that somebody's going to get away with something they had to give up. Well, bless God, I had to quit that. You ain't getting no Kmart discount religion here. We ain't running no blue light specials all of a sudden. If I had to give it up, you got to give it up. 
And I guess this is a strong one too. They forgot how long it took for them to get to where they are. Can I remind you folks, you didn't get the Holy Ghost one day, get baptized in Jesus' name. It looked like you looked tonight. It took a lot of Bible studies. It took a lot of loving. It took a lot of tolerance. It took a lot of praying and fasting. It took a lot of people putting up your nonsense, my nonsense. They loved me through it. But some of us, after we've been in church a while, we get to thinking we got the Holy Ghost one night and got baptized in Jesus' name. The next day, we look like a saint 20 years later, you know. None of us did that. Turn around to somebody and say, that means you. None of us did that. Somebody had to love us. Somebody had to have patience with us. Somebody had to pray with us. Somebody had to carry us until God did His work in our life. So I just wanted to leave you with this thought tonight. Are you willing to pay the high price for a free miracle? Shall we all stand? Let's lift our hands and thank God for such grounding word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your miracles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you had known me before I knew you'd understand why I love you. Oh, <laughs>